If you're in construction, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Constructed Behaviors Podcast. I'm your host, Barb Allen. I'm a woman with decades of experience in the construction industry, and most of it on the job site. I know how rewarding this industry can be, but like you, I also know that we could improve. Let's work together to make changes from the inside out. wondered how different people's experiences are, even when they're on the same career path? Today's episode is going to give you, myself, and my guest, Boyd Warsham, a glimpse into exactly that. On paper, Boyd's and my career paths have been crazily similar. An article written about him on the Build Your Future website talked about his career progression. And as I read it, I noticed it could have been taken directly from my bio that I give organizations prior to speaking engagements. And being someone who is driven by curiosity, I immediately began thinking, although so similar on paper, I would love to have a conversation that allows us both to see how different our experiences actually were on that same path. And today I get to do that. My guest is Boyd Warsham. He is the president of the National Center for Construction Education and Research, and I cannot wait to get this conversation started. So thank you for joining me, Boyd. Oh, thank you for having me, Barb. It's a pleasure. I, I I seriously, when I, you know, Tim introduced, um, Tim, Tim Taylor introduced us. I did an interview with Tim in episode 21 of this Constructive Behaviors podcast. And as he and I got to know each other a little more, he was like, okay, wait, your story and Boyd's story are so similar on your career paths. You guys have to talk. (laughs) And uh, when I started doing a little research, I was like, oh yeah, we absolutely do. So with you and I, like we, we, we have different ages. We are different genders. Um, we have differences in when higher ed played a role into our careers. Um, but we both started with a goal to be a job site superintendent. I mean, when we went into the industry, that was the goal for both of us. And for me, um, my, my mine didn't happen until I was a junior in college. I didn't even think about going into construction until I was a junior in college. And you, from what I from what I've researched, um, you've had a a teacher in junior year of high school that introduced you into it. So so tell us about that teacher and and what about it really interested you into the the construction industry. Um, yeah, I'm gladly, Barbara. I think our careers have, have been very similar. Um, like I said, a little different timing and sequencing, but very similar. Yeah, in high school and even through middle school, um, I, w- I went to school in a county, Clay County, Florida, just south of Jacksonville. Um, and career technical education called vocational education when I was in high school um, was very prominent and still is today. These same programs exist and have z- existed continuously since I was in school. Um, I graduated high school in 1980, so I'm obviously dating myself pretty well there. But um, that county was serious about career and technical education even 40 years ago. And so I went through several you know, carpentry classes um, through middle school and, and early days of high school. And then in my 10th and 11th grade, junior, senior year of high school, we had a carpentry instructor by the name of Hervey Robinson, who was a former superintendent on construction projects. So he treated us like adults when we walked in the classroom. Um, you had to apply for this man's class. Oh, this wow. Where you just, 
you know, you just got in, you applied, you had to have good, um, a fairly high GPA. I did quite well in my academic classes as well. And, um, and so I applied for that class and, and he accepted me and 19 other students in each of his junior and senior um, programs for a, a you know, total of 40 students at any given time. And what was really cool about it, Barb, is we built portable classrooms. I mean, we weren't building, you know, little, little projects. We built portable classrooms and we built four of them every nine weeks. That's and, awesome. And, and so it was a production program, right? And we were in there for three hours a day. And um, and then at each nine weeks, when they had what we call teachers planning day back then, the home movers, the house movers would come in and move these portables out, um, as we called them, to these campuses around our county. Um, my county is still, I still live in that county, um, it's my home base. Um those portables still exist on all these schools. Now, there are a lot of teachers that like to be out of those 40-year-old portables, right? Today, but they're still pretty, pretty prominent on those campuses. Um, and they were 28 by 52, um, you know, 28 feet by 52 foot um, um, structures with Dutch hip roofs and really, really nicely done. And so he was serious about what we did in that classroom um, and in his classes. We still went through our books, right? So we learned the the, the book learning, but then we executed the work every day for three hours a day, and we built these these portables. He was an extremely um, influential person in my life. Um, now, what he did that was really cool was he he decided that, you know, he didn't want to hear all about the leather jackets and all that for all the, the sports folks. He created a gold hammer award that he gave out to the most outstanding student in his class each year. So, my goal um, from the day I walked in that class or slightly before, because I'd heard about this award, was to be the recipient of, of the Gold Hammer Award sure. given to me by Mr. Robinson in my senior year. So um, so I, I was successful and, and won that award. And during that, um, that award ceremony on campus, um, a gentleman by the name of Preston Haskell, who is the founder of the Haskell Company in Jacksonville, Florida, and really the father of um, grandfather of design build in this country, quite frankly, design build was Mr. Haskell's concept. DBA, DBIA is one of his, one of his, um, projects 30 years ago, whenever he started that or 40. So Mr. Haskell was the guest speaker at the award ceremony. And, um, after the award ceremony came over to me and asked me if I needed a job. Well, yeah, I'm graduating high school in a couple of weeks. I, I need a job. <laughs> um, he said, what job do you want? I said, yours. He said, come try. And I tried for 38 years. You know, I stayed there for 38 years. It went from carpenter helper when they hired me out of, you know, right after I graduated, um, till I left there as the um, as the vice president of field op of operations for the organization. So that's so kind of the I story love, I'm getting into it. I well, I love the gold hammer story because I think I think uh, I think you're an overachiever. I think I'm an overachiever. Like we see something and we're like, oh, I want that, right? And and there are other people who are like, oh, I don't I don't want to chase after that. But I'm curious if you think that. Um, that man came to speak to you because you were the gold hammer winner, or did he go talk to everyone, or did he select people that he said, "Hey, do you want a job?" No, I, th I think that he came to me because of that, and, I, and in fact, I know that Barb because he and I obviously worked together for thirty-eight years and became great friends, and he was a, a, a very, very much a mentor in my career. Took me under his wing right after he hired me. But we at the Haskell Company, where I worked all those years, we went back about 10 years later and started sponsoring these gold hammer banquets for that county. Awesome. Oh, didn't I, right? What low hanging fruit? I've got an instructor That's telling right. me 
who the best student in his class is. That's so, right. Yeah, so we had sponsored a banquet. We changed it up a bit um, after he retired. And we we um, had all the instructors in the five carpentry programs in our county um, at the banquet to give their award. And then we offered jobs to these students. And many of these students, um, these gold hammer winners, work at the Haskell Company today in many portions, many areas of the company. And to this day, Haskell still does that and sponsors that event every year in that county and, and have expanded it to welding, electrical, and um, and what was formerly called drafting. I'm not sure what they call it today in the, in the school environment. But um, yeah, so very, very targeted. Get the instructor to identify as best and put them in front of you and see if you can get them working for you, right? I love that they recognize that, that that was such a great and easy way to recruit is to be part, not only be part, but but start to sponsor that. And uh, so I think about high school and I remember there being an option for shop class. I, I think that's all I remember being called shop class or there was home ec or you took another different elective. And I was adamant against home ec. I wanted nothing to do with learning to cook or to sew. I was just that was not my thing. I don't think I gave shop much of a, a thought at all because I knew I wanted to be in music. I was in the madrigal choir and the show. Like I, I did the the singing and the acting and that kind of stuff. And I just really wish that when I was in high school, there had been more of a, I'm going to use the word promotion that would get more people into those. Because when I was in there, it was it was kind of a mindset. There are certain people who go into shop class and these are the people who weren't going to college or something like that. And I knew my mom was a high school math teacher. So I knew I was going to college, whether I liked it or not. That was something that I was going to be doing. Um, and so that was shop was different. And man, I look back and I'm like, man, how that really could have um, not only changed my career, but I love working with my hands. If I could have gotten into a shop class or, I mean, I could have, but if they had drawn me in, and I think that's what school programs need to work on is really drawing more diversity of people in instead of what the typical has been. And so um, I'm just excited to see how schools are, are doing that, doing that more today. Yeah, Barbara, let me share something with you that's, um, that um, I think about a lot. Yeah. My carpentry instructor, Mr. Robinson, never talked to me about or anybody in that class about all he was going to do was teach us to be a carpenter. Now, these were this this was serious. You know, we like I said, these were serious classes. We learned how to frame a structure, how to sheathe it, how to do everything. Um, but but he never talked to us about that being the carpentry craft being the end all. He taught us the business of construction. And that was a difference. See, we didn't go into it I think it's hard for any young person um, today or even in my day of being a young person um, to really get extremely excited about any one craft for the rest of your life, right? I will always be a carpenter. In fact, after I took this job here at, um, at NCCER as the CEO, um, somebody introduced me as I was, I used to be, a, I was formerly a carpenter. I am always a carpenter. <laughs> That's Barbara. right. Nobody's right. away from me. And if I could hang only one shingle out, it would be Master Carpenter. But what this man taught me was, um, or what the way he delivered the message was, I am connecting you with an industry where you can create real wealth, real success, and make a difference and do something you love. That's what's different, right? When we get somebody, I don't care how passionate you are about the craft, um, everybody wants to know there's progression in their life, right? In every way. Mm -hmm. 
And so we need to talk about leadership roles. We need to talk about, you know, ownership of businesses. We need to talk about, you know, foreman, superintendent, all those other things. Learn the craft. That is your, 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 you know, your undergraduate degree, if you will. Right. right. But let's think about the business of construction that is such a wonderful and dynamic business that even you're just better at running the business if you have the craft knowledge. So I think that's a big, big point we need to stress to our schools and to others who are trying to recruit people into the industry. Let's Absolutely. talk about the big picture, not a craft being the necessarily being the end game. And if it is, so be it. It's noble, wonderful work. Right. That's There's right. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But just wanted to stress that point. Well, and I had uh, several years ago, I had a young woman reach out to me. She had gone to her school counselor and said, you know, she was getting ready to graduate and she wanted to be a carpenter and her school counselor didn't, didn't know where to even send her and just kind of told her, start Googling. And from Googling, she found the National Association of Women in Construction. And I was president at the time. And she just reached out and said, Hey, would, do you have any advice for me? And I was like, advice. Are you kidding me? Like come shadow me for a day. Like let come in and let, let me experience, let me share this story with you. And she, you know, she came to me wanting to be a carpenter. And I was like, Hey, I, that's amazing. I loved, you know, when I was physically building, um, but I want you to know there are other opportunities out there as well, because I, I want you to know everything that's out there in this business, just not just one part of it. And you get to choose, but you need to know what's out there. And uh, she herself is on the path to become a superintendent right now as well. And and I just, I love that it's your teacher in high school was more about the whole industry instead of just the trade, um, giving people the options so they know. Yeah. So- after high school, I, I went to college and I was a junior in college before I even found out that construction management was a degree. And when I did, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. This is exactly what I want to do. So I graduated with my degree in construction management and I wanted to be a job site superintendent. And so I was hired and I was placed into the carpenter's apprenticeship program. And just like you worked my way up to journeyman and carpenter foreman. What I'm curious about is how the time frame is different because you went into the apprenticeship um, right out of high school and I went in right after college and how long until you became a foreman and you were running a crew? Uh, Barb, it wasn't very long, um, to be honest with you, just a few years. Um, I was on a job in South Carolina on a building condos on a, a resort coastal island there. And, um, and I showed some initiative, quite frankly, you know, I, I, there were, we were doing some, some fairly large form vertical form work. And, um, and I just, there was a better way to do it than the way we were doing it. And quite frankly, my carpenter foreman, um, who I liked a lot at the time, he's a very knowledgeable um, gentleman. He would not hear of doing it any different. So I <laughs> had to show a little courage and take a little risk and go around him to the superintendent and said, I can I can stack these towers up, these stair stair towers and elevator core towers up quicker than we're doing it if you'll let me. Now I was a kid, right? Superintendent yeah. said, okay, show me. And and it worked. And you know, because I wasn't gonna let it fail right after that. I <laughs> right. Door, right? And um, and so we did. And and at that point, then that crew became mine. And from there on, you know, it was carpenter foreman and assistant superintendent and superintendent, um, kind of like what you're saying. But Bar, let me go back to something you just mentioned that's really kind of um ironic. 
about two weeks ago, I had the the honor of getting to address a group at Procore's annual conference in Chicago. Yeah. And great, great conference. I've done it several years now. Um, and in that in that presentation, several young ladies in the audience, young women in the audience, raised their hand and said that they had gone into architecture programs in college um, because they had no idea they were even building construction management programs. Now, these were young people. These folks had only been out of college a few years, I would, I would, I would bet, yeah. working for major um, companies here in our major construction firms in our in our country. Um, um, but the, so it's still happening, right? So not only do people not realize in in the um, craft side that you want to be striving for leadership roles and superintendent role and and overseeing the project, um, we have people going in to architecture and engineering fields who really want to be hands-on builders. Because we haven't, uh, we still haven't successfully um, communicated that, I think, out to the world too. That building construction management is a wonderful field, a wonderful degree offered by, I think, 150 or so universities in this country, or more now probably. And um, so I think there's some lack of communication even at that level, as you, as you, which you experienced years ago. Totally agree, and I think it's, um, I think as as a whole. Our industry doesn't do a good job of marketing our industry in general. I think we think our buildings are the marketing and we're not actually, we're not doing a good job of marketing to young people about this amazing industry that it is and how many opportunities there are. Like it's not just about being a worker or being a superintendent or a project manager. There are so many different jobs that you can have in this industry and we do not do a good job, this is my opinion, of marketing that. Mm -hmm. We we've got we've got to do better. Yeah. Well, I would I would agree with you hundred percent. And there are many, many um there are many, many great jobs um out there. And I think and, and I, I don't think anybody just listening to this podcast would disagree that we don't do a good job of of that that we that we we do not do well at marketing. And um, but you think about it, the industry we're in, I mean, we go, 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 right? We finish, we're working hard to finish a project. We've got another one waiting. We've got to start. We just haven't, we haven't taken the time to make the rest of the world aware of how great these jobs are and what a wonderful industry we have. And Barb, nobody chooses something they don't know. You know, I mean, think about it. Yeah. You don't choose things that you don't know. Um, and we we just we we're still an unknown to be you know this massive industry we're still an unknown and we've got to figure out how do we how do we help um, young people to know who we are and what the opportunities are and how do we help the influencers in their lives parents guardians teachers guidance counselors whoever it may be to understand the opportunities and and the benefits of our industry yeah and I I would like to add the other component of that they. They can't be what they don't know, but I think we also, as women, struggle. We can't be what we can't see. Absolutely. And you know, I grew up with my dad being in construction, but i I didn't I didn't think of. I never thought about it as a career for me. And um, something happened to me this week that i I may tear up as I say this now. I was literally bawling when I read this. My ten year old niece, she won a regional building competition. And she was written up in an article, and this adorable picture of her. But in the article, it said, um, you know, she 
she has an aunt who works in construction. And I just thought, man, that's it. I, you know, I'm able for young women to see me so they see they can be it. And from this article, this strong, courageous 10-year-old girl is in this picture and other girls are going to see her. Her age girls are going to see her in this picture and go, construction, wait, Josie's doing that? Like, what is that? And just the whole life cycle circle of that being see it to be it just really hit me hard that day. And I think we're we're making some some progress toward that, but they need to know what's out there and they need to see someone who looks like them doing it to really to really push more people into it. You know, I didn't see someone that looked like me and I did it and I was successful. So you don't have to have that, but dang, it sure helps. Yeah, it gives you that extra something. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100%. Um, I don't think, I think there are a lot of folks, um, female, um, under underrepresented uh, populations that don't necessarily see them in this industry, see themselves in this industry. Um, they just they haven't had somebody in their family that's been successful in it or done it. So it's an unknown, right? We, but you're right. We are making some headway. Is it slow? Is it later than we want? Yes. Is it ultimately, in my opinion, the um, the solution we need? I believe it is. I really do. Right. I think that I've ran as you. I've ran a you know a lot of projects. I've overseen a lot of projects in my operations role with my my firm. Went to every project we built when I did that job for twenty plus years. And um, you know, we need the smartest, most talented most dedicated people we can possibly have and nothing else should matter other than their, their, their interests, their aptitude and their skills. And that's, and that's where I think we're, we're very rapidly getting to as an industry. Now we have to figure out how to make all that work because it's different. Now we know how to make it work in our offices. We know how to make it work in our fixed establishments, but for some reason we still struggle with how to apply it on the, you know, on the job site. Yeah. Um, but it's not that hard we just have to recognize the benefit of this, the opportunity this this brings, and the solution this provides. And I think we'll see progressive, smart firms um, continue to embrace and solve um, for this problem, um, and 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 we'll be a better, in, a much better industry for it, and quite frankly, have better projects for it. Right. You know? That's, That's the key. right. Well, and talking about the leadership rungs, you were promoted to uh, carpenter foreman fairly quickly. I was also promoted fairly quickly once I was out of college. But when you think about that, I had four years before my two years, you know, so you um, going straight from high school into it, you were able to start feeling and experiencing that leadership wrong sooner than I was um, because you got into it sooner. Right. And, and managing people is a learned skill set. Like you're not good at it when you start, no matter how good you think you are, it takes a few years before you become good at it. And, and so you, you definitely had a leg up on me there, um, because you, you went, you started right from there. Um, but think about superintendent. So we had the same path from carpenter to, um, foreman to assistant superintendent to superintendent. But you had more field experience. I mean, hands down, no question in my mind, you are a better carpenter than I was. I only wore my bags full time for a few years before I got into a position where it was bags off. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have more of that skill set, that understanding of carpenter. What, What are the things that you think 
having more of that experience made you really successful as a superintendent? You know, I think, Barb, there is a there's an ability that is developed as a craft professional. And that's absolutely what way we term it around National Center uh, for Construction Education and Research, NCCR, is craft professional. And as a craft professional, you really start to visualize how things are built. And so, you know, I, there's there's nothing I, I look at that I don't can't pretty well understand how it was put together. You know, and that's yep. really important, um, especially from a constructability review standpoint, especially from a cost standpoint, and obviously to be able to build effective and and um, and 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 well thought out schedules. So, you know, so for me, and, and I see it in other people. I can see it in superintendents. I can see it in um, in in project managers. I see it in other people who have that field experience and have actually lived that assembly of a project many times they they see it they know it they know what's above that ceiling they know what's behind that drywall they may they may not know what that steel connection exactly is but they know it's going to be one of these right Uh, pretty much um but but so i think that's one of the best things the other the other piece i think was really um really beneficial of all my my field time is exactly what you mentioned my ability to deal with people it is a, you know, superintendent job is the craziest job in the world, <laughs> unless you are absolutely the right, have the right personality for it, right? Yep. If you love a thousand things coming at you at one time and you get to figure out, you know, how to handle them all, know which ones you can, you can think about a little bit, know which ones you have to react to, trust your gut, have instinct, know how to use the data and the information you have and know when you, when you just have to call it and go, um, it's just a crazy job. And that only comes with experience and with people skills to know who to go to, to find out what you have to know, um, and also to be able to evaluate your risk based on how good your team is. Yeah. Think about it. There's many times where we have to sit back and say, okay, um, I don't have all the information. I don't know everything I need to know to make that perfect call, yet I have to make that call. How good is my team if I don't get this call right. Right. Because at the end of the day, I need that team to help me solve to help me get it right if I mess if I if I didn't originally, right? Yeah. So so I, and I think that's understanding people. That's really understanding um your team and how to how to work with your team and how to um how to inspire and motivate your team. And that that comes from getting working with your team. Yeah. What I tell people when they when they don't really understand what superintendent is, I tell them that, you know, it's it's the person, your job as a superintendent is to get everyone on site with different, that have different agendas and different opinions moving in the same direction. And to do that, you have to figure out how each of them work individually. There's different ways to push different buttons and being, you have to be willing to learn from them as well. It's not your way or the highway. You have to learn to read people and be interested in them. And I, I always say I, there's no, the only thing I read better than blueprints are people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, that's a quality I grew up with. Um, and so that, that's something that really helped me in that role. But as you talk about it, I can, I can see how you feel about the superintendent role. And I, I felt the same way. It was the best job. I loved being a job site superintendent. Um, and yet 
something made me say, okay, I want to do something different. I'm curious, what was that something that made you say, okay, I'm going to leave this amazing job and I'm going to, I'm going to go work, be in the office side. I want to help manage and run the entire company. What was that? What was that like for you? Well, that's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't thought a lot about that, Barb, but I think my reaction to the question is um, ambition. For me, you know, you don't stop until you, 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 you finish work, right? Um, you do. And I think you look at where can I bring the most value to an organization? And I think that, you know, um, you also want to learn, you want to share what you know. And when you get into operations, you get to do that, right? You go, yeah. you know, you get to decide, you know, who the next superintendents coming into your organization are, or those promoting up. How do you make sure you help them be successful when they, when they um, roll into your organization? And that's really key. Uh, for an operations person, because yeah. it can be a bit overwhelming. You walk into a company, especially a company like I came from, where there was long tenure. A lot of people were long tenured there. I was not unusual there to have had the years of service I had. Same and for me. Somebody comes in, you know, my job was getting them to join us if, if, if in fact, you know, we wanted them to join. Um, and then if you just throw them out to a project, and you don't support them. You've got a team of veteran project managers and all these other people who've been here forever. Um, the superintendent role can be sort of a little lonely spot sometimes. And I realized that I could support that, right? And I could be that. And I had enough clout to say, no, 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 project managers. That's not your biggest problem. You know, you, they, he doesn't, does not have what he needs to be successful. Right. Your job is getting him that, you That's know, right. him or her that. And so... Um, so I think that part of it, but I think for me, it's just always been a, a high level of ambition. You know, I've, I've, you know, loved running projects. I would probably say my best role, the most enjoyable role I ever had, Barb, uh, was carpenter foreman. I loved the carpenter foreman job, you know, it didn't pay as well. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, but it was a step on the ladder, right. To, yeah. to, to making it to the top of an organization. But um, I joke about it, but I loved it because, I was still actively out there with my my crew doing the things I love doing, and that is build physically building things. Yeah. Um, yet I could still go in the office and get a cup of coffee when I wanted to, and um, and use real facilities when I wanted to, and not have you know. So it was just different, right? Um, yeah. But you still had responsibility, but you didn't have all of the responsibility of a superintendent. Um, now, of course, I was carpenter foreman when I was young, and I probably was not ready to be a superintendent um, by at that time. But not far after that, through through some circumstances, I wound up finishing a 12-story project in Los Angeles right near LAX in the early 80s because superintendent left and they trusted me to finish it. And That's I was awesome. about two years old and, and did and um, took everything I had in me to do it. But, you know, we I did it. Me and the team did it. I, I just had the pleasure of leading them. But, um, but yeah, so so I think it's, um, I think, it, you know, I joke about the superintendent role. It is absolutely, think about this, Barb, it is such a unique role. Anybody that's smart enough to do it is smart enough to not do it, right? First of all, and and think what, and so your job is taking a million parts and pieces, or maybe it's 10 million, who knows, right? Maybe it's many more depending on on the project, but taking millions of parts and pieces, putting them together in the proper order per the instructions, keeping everybody safe doing that, turn out a quality project, and oh, by the way, make money doing it. Right. In what can be adverse conditions sometimes. Yeah. So, so you think about it. Anybody that could do that job could run the heck out of a factory or a fixed establishment operation, right? And you can do it when you can do it 
the way we do it. Um, I just think it's cool as anything, right? I mean, to it me, is. it's like the perfect job, you know, and um, and also I, I loved it. And I I thought the part of my role as the operations person was, was, was to inspire others to love it, you know, and everything. Well, and talking about ambition, um, you at some point as you transitioned, I think, out of superintendent, you decided you were going to go after your master's in business administration. Yeah. And I mean, that that in itself is a feat. Um, but what I didn't know, and I read this in I think one of the articles that I read about you, you didn't have a bachelor's, which I mean, I understand you didn't have a bachelor's, but you didn't have to get a bachelor's before you got your master's. And I I think that that's important for people to know because um, you, you, you explain why. Well, for me, I had, you know, I was 40 in my early 40s when, you know, Mr. Haskell slid a folder across the table at lunch one day and said, I want you to go, want you to go get your MBA. He said, you know, you're running big pieces of this business and they're important pieces of this business. And I, I know you know how to do that, but I want you to have that formal formal education and, and that, that I think will help you to be more successful. And I was excited to do so. Um, and so, um, you know, for the accreditation standards of, of the university, you know, up to 5% of their you know class members in their EMBA uh, program didn't have to have an undergrad as long as you had 20 years of industry experience. And That's so, awesome. Yeah, went that way love it what a great opportunity right i mean i worked i worked as hard as i've ever worked in my life during those 18 months because i still had a full-time job and i and i just and and this um educational opportunity was not easy in some areas for me i had right. to work extremely hard to do it um but but i wasn't going to fail at it right and i knew i knew the opportunity that was slid across that table that day to me and that was that was extremely important and it made me um and the education was extremely beneficial. You know, I can't tell you how how many times I've applied those 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 lessons to what I've done ever ever since then. So um, so like I said, it was just a, a a really different way of going about it, but the perfect way for me. I would not. I didn't. I had zero desire to go to college when I walked out of high school. Yeah, zero desire. I, I didn't want to do that. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go build large major projects and I wanted to run those projects that was as far as I was thinking that was the pinnacle and I and I was going to get there as quickly as I could yeah in many ways it still was the pinnacle of my career I mean running major projects is, is a pinnacle in anyone's career it is it really is um I I just love that listeners get a chance to hear you can work in the field for 20 some years and then go get a master's if you want it for to start your own business or to work in a higher place in a business, whatever. There, there is still that opportunity that doesn't take the four years to also get your bachelor's with it. And I didn't know that was a thing. And I, I want more people to know that that there there are opportunities such as that, um, so that you you can go do it when when you're ready. If if you ever decide you want to do that, but I want to talk about. You and I both got to a point, high-level management within our general contracting organizations, and then we decided to leave and go help the industry in a different way. So um, tell us that story. What what made you say, okay, it's time? Yeah. Well, um, great question. And um, it was a hard decision for me. I loved where I were. I worked for a great company. It's still a great company. I interact with them frequently now. Um, just think think the world of them. Uh, still, you know, a little bit of ownership in it through the ESOP now. All my other other stuff has been purchased back. But but can't say enough good, right? I, I'm one of those lucky folks who knew what they 
they were going to do when they came out of high school and found the exact right place to do it. Um, just a wonderful place to work. And um, but also made made contributed to that, right? I didn't just, you know, take from that. I contributed to it. Sure. I suffered through some bad projects, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't quit because you're on a bad job, right? You finish, <laughs> they let you move on to something else, you know. But, um, but I think so. So I never thought I would leave, Barb. Um, you know, I had 38 years to the day when I my last day there was my 38th anniversary. Wow. I thought I would stay to probably about 45, 42, 45 years. Um, but I sat on the board at NCCER and I'd been on, been affiliated with NCCER for 20 years in some role, um, you know, uh, either in committee work or, or sitting on their board, knew, knew the leadership here, knew the organization almost since inception. My CEO at Haskell, Steve Halverson had been a chairman of the board here. Um, I took over his board position when he exited after his chairmanship. Or, um, so I realized that there was, that I could do something bigger for the industry. Yeah. You know, I could, I love building projects. I love what I did, but I want NCCER um, to truly be the resource to change millions of people's lives for the better through construction awareness and construction education. And this is the place to do it. This is a, this is another wonderful opportunity that presented itself to me. And I, I believe in this industry so much and in the organizations that, that make up this industry that I saw it as the opportunity for me to truly make a difference in the industry um, for all the right reasons. You know, we're a not-for-profit organization. Every every nickel that comes in this organization goes back to the mission. And the mission is to, you know, to improve our industry through education. And so to me, it was the ultimate opportunity. And I wanted, so when when the when I was approached by some other board members about me considering taking the organization over, um, it was a really hard decision. You know, because I loved where I was at, but I think I can do more good here. And I yeah. think at the end of the day, I can um, I can accomplish more. I think my knowledge of the industry brings some some value to this role. My um, my knowledge of of how to run a business brings value. Um, most importantly, I know how wonderful our industry is. And I don't think you can do this job unless you really understand the, the, the benefits of this industry and the value it brings to our society, our economy, and the value it can bring to bring to people's lives. And so I think I'm the right person at the right time to do this job. Um, and so when it when it presented itself, I, um, I felt really, really um, strongly that I needed to do the job. And so, like I said, it was hard to leave, love where I was, um, you know, building projects and overseeing projects and building people was wonderful. I just get to build a lot more of them here. Yeah. And and um, many of them at the younger age, right? Because the other thing we have to do, Barb, is not only get folks into our industry, we have to retain them. And that's going to be done through training, education, and many other things. So, right. so this, is, this is kind of the you know, my opportunity, to be honest with you, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. 95% of your words are exactly my words. Like it, it's, it, we have this love of this industry that, that built us and we want, we're at a point where we're like, okay, we're going to take our successes and we're going to go back and help build the industry bigger and better. And, and I, I just love that, that similarity. I mean, it, it's, it's really amazing to me how similar our our whole trajectory has been. And we've had different experiences, but we've kind of ended up in a we've ended up in a very similar role of what we're doing now. And, um, I, I, 
I'm so excited for that. So tell me um, to end, to wrap this up, what, what is your biggest, what is your biggest passion right now? What is your biggest goal for the industry right now? My biggest goal is to sort of, it's kind of my biggest worry and my biggest goal, right? They're, they're simple. They're the same. We as an industry are not attracting enough people to this industry. Right. And that is just a, that is a failure. We have wonderful things, um, wonderful opportunities to provide to people. Um, the, as you've said a couple of times in this conversation, um, our industry is diverse. Our industry has opportunity at many levels. Our industry creates careers for you know millions of people every year and needs a couple million people coming its way in the next decade or so or shorter. Um, I worry that we as an industry are not um, are not doing enough to create the awareness of those great opportunities. And I want my biggest goal is for NCCR to work with the other great organizations out there that are trying to solve for this problem and to jointly all of us lay all the baggage aside and get together and truly let people know how great this industry is and and, and become that industry of choice yeah. in this country as it should be for the for the right people, right? We, yeah. we want to make sure they are folks like you and I who have the passion for it, the interest in it, and the skills to do it. But I believe there are millions of them out there who, if we don't get this right, Barb, will never get the opportunity to have the pleasure in their work that we've had nor will they get the opportunity to optimize their wealth generation um, and in some cases um, improve their family situation that they get in this industry. Um, so that's kind of my, my, my biggest goal is how do we how do we make the world aware of how great this can be for them? Well, and you're absolutely right. We have to we have to come together because there are too many organizations that see each other as competitors and we're not at a place in the world right now that we can be competitors like that. We have to work together, AGC, ABC, NAWIC, like NCCER. We all have to work together to forward our industry. And I think that there are so many, like I have noticed since I left um, the general contracting world a year and a half ago, how many people out there are trying to start things without realizing there are already people out there working on them. Let's let's figure out how to advertise what it is that we're doing and get those people to come help instead of having them start from scratch. Because there's so much of that I hear out there as I do these interviews. They're like, oh, I want to start this or this. And I'm like, wait, I just found out somebody's already doing this, you know, connecting those people so that we can do it together. And I I 100% agree with you. We've We've got to come together and we have to better market the industry so that we can get the amazing people that will really build this industry up in the future for us. No, I think you're right, Barb. And there are, and all these organizations, the ones you've mentioned and many more are all working hard on this. Yes. We need to figure out how to do it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really make this a a truly scalable initiative based on, on all of our um, bandwidths and strengths. Well, thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed this and I, I am on board anyway in what in which I can help NCCER or any organization out there. I, I want to help in whatever way I can. So I look forward to future opportunities of conversations and making this what we want it to be. Okay. Well, thank you, Barb. I greatly appreciate your time and you allowing me to, to share my ideas and thoughts. So I look forward to our next conversation. 
If you know someone that could benefit from this particular episode, then share it with them. Or if you want to continue to learn about the untapped and underutilized resources that will take your business to the next level, then follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode where we discuss what you needed to hear. And lastly, there is a link in the show notes that will allow you to reach out to me directly if you want to accelerate that learning curve. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Talk soon.